Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, we're in the Christmas season, as you can see from decorations. Um, we're finishing up a series called Whisper, we're talking about prayer being a conversation with God, and in a conversation you listen, hopefully more than you speak, and so we're talking about ways to, to hear God speak to us. And today's going to be kind of an unusual one, maybe not think about it this way, it's the voice of pain Potentially the voice of joy, and hopefully that'll make sense in a few minutes. <clears throat> um, most of you know that I like to run long distances. Uh, I've only done one marathon. But I came across this interesting story statistic that about a half a million people run a marathon every year. So that's quite a few people. Half of those are first-time runners, though which means probably they don't, won't run it the second time <laughs> for half of them to be new every year to run marathons. And then they kind of researched it a little bit more and they found out that half of those first-timers have something in common. They have an age in common, but not the exact same age. So I'm going to ask you, how many of you, your age ends in a 9? 29, 39, 49, whatever. How many? Trans up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My mother-in-law is continuously 39. But anyway, um, half of them, their age ends in nine. So psychologists always try and figure these things out. And the conclusion they came to was this. When we in, get close to an end of a decade, uh, we, we come to something they call a crisis of meaning. For some reason, at the end of a decade, we're thinking, okay, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Am I making a difference? And that seems to influence us when we get to the, more at the end of a decade. I found it interesting as I thought back. I started running when I was 30, so I don't know if I went through this at 29 or not. Um, <clears throat> but we're talking about pain, and running a marathon is painful, right? Some of you have done it. Running an ultramarathon is painful. The training is painful. So why would you go through the that physical pain for uh, this accomplishment? Well, because there's basically external pain and internal pain. And external pain, like running, is trumped by this pain of crisis of meaning. So if I was to ask you what's greater pain, the greater pain, the external or internal, what would you say? Well, obviously, it's from, from research, it's internal pain. Uh, we got an expression when I was a kid, sticks and stones, is that still around? I'm going to break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's a bunch of bull, right? Names do hurt. They hurt worse than, than broken bones. I've had broken bones. Three months, I'm, I'm, I'm well again. Uh, many of us have scars from what people have said to us decades ago. Of course, pain also comes in the form of somebody else causing it to us or us causing it ourselves. <clears throat> when I think of pain, I think of what C.S. Lewis wrote, and this is pretty familiar, I think, to most folks, and it goes along with our series, because he talks about first whispering. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasure. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can tell what God wants sometimes by uh, the delight you have, the, the, obviously, uh, the positive delight. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph. Uh, we talked about emotional intelligence. Like most teenagers, he had none. And at 17 he or so, he had 
ten older brothers, and he told them, hey, one day you're going to all bow down to me. Of course, that didn't go over very well. And so for the next, say, 13 years, so he's about 30, that's prime of life, right? 13, uh, 17 to 30. He was either a slave or a prisoner. Pain caused by others to him, some physical pain, but mostly internal pain. Anyway, at the end of that 13 years, he's in prison. A couple guys come to him with their trouble by some dreams they had. And now he's got some emotional intelligence. Now he has some empathy. And he says, oh, maybe I can help. And he was able to help one, the other. One was good news, one was bad news. But as a result of that, he became uh, a person of authority. And he saved two nations, the Israelites as well as the Egyptians, uh, from, from starvation. So... I put on your outline, nothing gets our full attention like pain. We talked about God speaks through the, through the Bible. If you don't read it, he can't speak to you, can he? Even if you read it, you can ignore what's in there. You can ignore your desires. You can ignore the open and closed doors we talked about last week. You can ignore uh, godly counsel or wisdom. But you can't ignore pain. It's in our face. Now, originally pain comes from sin. Garden of Eden, there wasn't any pain, there wasn't any sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and then there's been pain ever since. One day, there's not going to be any more pain. Uh, Revelation says, no more tears, no more pain. But in the meantime, we deal with pain. Some of it's sin, some of it is godly discipline. Parents, you inflict pain on your kids when they misbehave, don't you? Absolutely you do. Um, so some pain is with the purpose, and God can make, have a purpose with all our pain. Now, we've heard the expression, no pain, no gain. Uh, but most of us would prefer no pain, no pain, right? Uh, most of us aren't asking for it. Most of us aren't seeking it. <clears throat> but sometimes, I put it on the outline, sometimes the circumstances we are trying to change, the, the, the painful circumstances, God is using to change us. So I would say, don't fake it till you make it. Pain is something you need to be real about. You need to be real in dealing with. You need to be real by sharing it. Um, but our trials can also be the, a platform to us. And by that, what I mean is uh, a ministry, an opportunity to do things. I share with you f- folks most many times that our 13th year of marriage, Deb and I, was really rocky. And we went to the marriage counseling scene and, 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 and so forth. As a result of that, we are much more emotionally intelligent when it comes to counseling couples than we would have ever been uh, beforehand. <clears throat> and I didn't think about it until this week. But uh, our marriage hit a, you know, it, it was good, but it was kind of hit a great level about six years ago. And I had some explanation for it, but I think I know the real explanation for it now. Those of you who've been around here that long, and especially in our family, what happened about six years ago? Do anybody remember? Aaron was diagnosed. with Inoperable brain cancer and fought for a year and a half. My wife was primary caregiver. So... The squabbles you have in marriage don't amount to much when you have a daughter-in-law dying. 
and the mom of your grandchildren dying. And uh, become much more, again, emotionally intelligent. So we're going to look at something a guy by the name of Paul wrote. <clears throat> and uh, he was an avid hater of, of, of Christianity at, at the beginning. He actually had people arrested and executed, not for anything bad they did, just because they were, quote-unquote, a Jesus follower. He has this dramatic transformation in his life. He becomes a Jesus follower. And as he was passionate about persecuting Christians, now he, he is passionate about be, uh, helping people become Jesus followers. And he started churches. And we talked about last week, he even expanded that into, into Europe. So in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, one of the letters he wrote to the Corinthians, a church he started, He's explaining to him, this is later in life, he's explaining to all these, these trials and difficulties he had. He also talks about his credentials for being uh, uh, this church planner and, and uh, preacher. And then in chapter 12, he talks about having this unique experience. He calls it uh, the third heaven, whatever that is. And he has trouble explaining it. He just says it's just, just remarkable. It's amazing. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6. And... Uh, Anyway, to me it's a little, a little comical, but uh, I'll explain what I mean. He says, if I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth. Actually, we missed a verse. Back up. Can we back up? Yeah. That experience, this third, you know, into third heaven, is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. Well, he just ex- talked about it, right? <laughs> but he's not going to boast about it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. Then he goes on. He can't stop himself from talking about this struggle he has with boasting about his experience, especially this one. So if I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. Well, he would be telling the truth. This is something that happened. I'm reminded of the expression, no brag, just fact. He's not bragging, he's just sharing facts, but it comes across as bragging, doesn't it? But I don't want to do it. I don't want to brag. I don't want to boast because I don't want anyone to give me more credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Okay, it doesn't matter what I've experienced. What do you see in my life? Do you see God in me? Uh, do you see God in my message? Do you see Jesus? And then he goes on. Even though I received such a wonderful revelation from God. <laughs> All right, so you're not boasting, Paul. Um, so to keep me from becoming proud, boasting, I was giving, and most of you have heard this expression, a thorn in my flesh. Literally, that means a slap in the face or boxing your ears. Uh, lots of debate about what this thorn in the flesh is. Paul never tells us. I think the major reason that Paul never tells us, because if you had that whatever it is, you would think, hey, I'm, you would boast about it, wouldn't you? Paul and I, we got the same affliction. Uh, because it uses the word flesh, People believe it's eyesight issues, malaria, some other thing. But most, most experts nowadays think it's more internal because that's the greater pain, right, than the external. And somebody suggested depression. I don't think they had a word for depression 2,000 years ago. I don't know how they would express that. Uh, somebody suggested to me maybe it was guilt from having Jesus followers executed. Um, but hope. <laughs> The need for hope is so great. And the empty tomb 
message to us that there's no hopeless situations, right? And so he has his thorn in the flesh. He describes it as a message from Satan to torment him, not just to bother him or be an inconvenience. This is a torment. But also to keep me from becoming proud. So just like you and I, if you and I have this issue, whatever it might be, eternal, external, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of uh, ongoing. It's not, uh, you know, temporary. What are you and I going to do? We're going to try and get rid of it, right? Go to the doctor if it's something the doctor can fix. Uh, if you're Jesus following, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. But if you're Jesus following, you're going to pray, hey, God, I don't want this. I don't like this. Please take it away. And that's exactly what he did. He did it three times. Don't know why three. But three times he begged, he pleaded with God to take this away. God, I hate this. And I think it was just more than he hated it. I think he saw it as a hindrance to his ministry. It slowed him down, so to speak. And I see Paul as a type A personality. It's go, 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 go. But also, you know, a competent person. And part of his, when he explained how, you know, accomplished person he was. And so, all right, I, you know, I can do this. And we have this desire to do stuff and, and keep going. And this was slowing him down. And so he prays three times. God, please take this away. I guess after three times he figured, you know, God wasn't going to do it. But God gave him an answer. He just wasn't quiet. He said, my grace is all you need. Ah, I'd like you to take this away. No, no, no. My grace is all you need. One translation says, it's more than enough. Another translation says, continuously, continuously sufficient. So no matter what this pain is, no matter what this hindrance is, whatever this thing is that you don't want, my grace is all you need. It's sufficient. It's going to continue to be sufficient. It's all you need. My power, God's power, works best in weakness. Hmm, power and weakness. Whose power, whose weakness? Well, God's power, when my weakness, my strength means God's weakness. So here we go. We talked about pain and joy. He says, so now I am glad <laughs> to boast about my weaknesses. Now, we don't go, I don't go around talk, telling people about, I did tell people I can't sing. That's one of my <laughs> weaknesses. But I go around boasting about it. We don't usually share our weaknesses, do we? We go around talking about, hey, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. <clears throat> So I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Well, why would anybody do that? Well, he had a really good reason. He says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. If this is what's required for the power of Christ to work through me, it's worth it. In fact, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to be glad even though I don't like it. It brings about character development. It brings about a deeper worship shared this many times before. God's more concerned about our character than our comfort. Parents, you're more concerned about your children's character than their comfort. We understand that. So, he goes on. So now, I'm not defeated by my weaknesses. Sometimes we get defeated by our weaknesses, don't we? He says, no, no, no this isn't going to defeat me. But I, del I <laughs> but delighted. Again, there is that. There's this joy in pain. There's this joy in weakness. Again, that sounds a little crazy. Well, he explains. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, 
when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution, not because I'm stupid and do dumb things, but because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal for God's power. So we don't want people to see us and, you know, lift us up and say, hey, you're great. We want them to do what? Say, God's great. See, does God want us to be ineffective? No, he wants us to be effective. But the only way we are effective is if he is our power, not ourselves. Does God command us to be strong? No, he just commands us to be faithful. And that he will be our strength. So put on your outline. When it seems like God is letting us down, Paul probably thought, hey, you're not taking this away. You're letting me down. He is setting us up. He's given us an opportunity to do what? Let his strength show through our weakness. Now, the natural thing for us to do when we're in pain or have difficulties is to do what? Ask the question what? Why me? Sometimes I say, well, why not me? But anyway, why me? Why, why God? And God doesn't usually answer that. And I think even if he did, the answer wouldn't satisfy us. So a much better question is this. Not why, but how. I'll give an illustration. Jesus was going to heal this blind guy. And his disciples, in their theology, said, okay, who sinned, him or his parents? Either one or the other sinned, that's why he's blind. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand at all. He said, nobody sinned here. He said, he is blind, so I can heal him now, and God get the glory. That's why. Now, if you're that blind guy, you're thinking, hey, that doesn't seem too fair, does it? It's not why, but how can God get the glory through your pain, my pain? And I wrote that on your outline. <laughs> how might God use our pain for his purpose? Don't ask why. I mean, you can if you want. God might answer. That's not the real. <laughs> uh, in fact, if you get the answer, it's, again, it, it may even be worse if you really need a reason why. So how might God use your pain for his purpose? See, pain causes us either run to or run from God. And if we run from God, it only makes it worse. And it, part of pain's purpose in our life is to draw us closer to God, to bring us intimacy with God. Because again, that's what God desires. That's why he whispers to us. So it boils down, do we trust him? Do we trust him? So when I think about this connection with pain and joy, I'm reminded of what author of Hebrews wrote. Chapter 11 of Hebrews lists all these guys and all the accomplishments. You know, Moses and all those guys. Uh, the neat thing about, about the Bible is they shows us all their screw-ups as much as their successes, but they listed all these people. And then you get to chapter 12 and he says, there's this cloud of witnesses, all the people that went before us, uh, people of faith. And he says, we have to run a race of endurance. Our race. Of, of faith. So how do we do that? And so the second verse, he says this. We do this by keeping your eyes on Jesus. So what are your eyes on? When you're in pain, sometimes it's on the pain. Sometimes it's on your circumstances. Sometimes it's on yourself. Poor pitiful me. 
So where's your, your eyes? Uh, I was a couple, 50 couple of years old. My family bought me a motorcycle. I learned to ride this motorcycle. And I was having trouble steering it. I was kind of looking at the front wheel. And it was kind of difficult. And I had, a, had a, another preacher who was a pastor who was a, a motorcycle rider for years. He said, just look where you want to go. And so I started looking where I wanted to go, and it, the steering solved its problem. So where are you looking? <clears throat> are you looking where you want to go? Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? <clears throat> so he says, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him. Okay, there's a joy awaiting him. Because of that, he endured the cross. He was crucified. He was beaten. Disregarded his shame, his very shameful way to die. But for the joy awaiting him, he endured cross. You ladies that have children, especially if you've had more than one child, <laughs> people can try and talk you out of the pain the first time. That's not that painful. Um, after you've experienced it once, you know, don't you? So why would you have a second child? Simple, isn't it? It's almost instantaneous. I'm a dad, so I held that baby right after it was born. The joy of that new life coming into your, into the world, into your responsibility. Athletes, why do athletes put themselves through grueling training? You know, I mentioned I run ultra marathons, and I've done it <laughs> like 15 times. That's painful. Some of you have done it. Why do you do that? There's just a sense I don't know how to explain it. Joy of the accomplishment when you're finished. And it's not because they give you that silly <laughs> uh, thing to put around your neck. So, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Jesus didn't give up. Sometimes we tend to give up on God. So is there an area of your life where you've given up on God? It's pretty easy to do. I've done it. The primary area, I've got some brothers that grew up in church, and as adults, they hadn't had much interest in God, and, and uh, sisters here, we, we pray for them, we hope that, you know, they're going to become Jesus followers, and it's just painful, and sometimes I pray and think, eh, that's not going to happen. If it hasn't happened after 30, 40 years, how's it going to happen? So maybe, where have you given up on God? Maybe in your marriage or some other relationship? Maybe some health issues, some financial issue. Maybe career. Maybe you're wanting to do something in some career and it's just not, the door hasn't opened yet. Put on your outline. Don't let what's wrong with you or what's wrong with your life keep you from worshiping, worshiping what's right with God. We all have shortcomings. We all have problems. We all have addictions, bad habits, whatever you want to call it. Don't let any of that keep you from worshiping God. There's a, a line from a song that goes like this. When you can't see God's, his or God's hand, trust his heart. 
Someone's put it this way. God's sovereignty, what God's doing, is above my pay grade. <laughs> just is. He's God and I'm not. And I don't always know what he's doing. I don't understand the pain in my life. And you, probably you don't either. But do I trust his heart? So what is his heart? A.W. Tozer, great insight, said this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think about God? And I'm not going to give you a lot of things you might be able to think about, but let me just put it this way. If it's not love, it's wrong. Okay? As we teach the smallest preschoolers, what's the first thing we teach them? God is love. So you can question maybe God's sovereignty or question his, you know, if he's all-powerful, why is he let, uh, you can ask all those other questions. But it all comes down to this. Love. Love is doing what's best. In this case, for you, for me, for us. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, but his love for us kept him there because he could have came down anytime he wanted. So he's never going to love you any more than he does right now. He's never going to love you any less because it's not based on you and your performance, your good things, or your, or your bad things. He can't not love. That's his nature. So there's no reason for us to question anything. In fact, I put on your outline, love is his answer to everything. It just is. So let me leave you with a final question in this series. Hopefully the series has been helpful to you. I've really enjoyed sharing it, teaching it. Is he the loudest voice in your life? Because whatever the loudest voice is in your life determines your future, your destiny. I pray to this God. Uh, next week we're going to start a Christmas series and it's titled Fear Not. It's based on the three stories of angels coming to three characters in the New Test, uh, in the Christmas story. And angels are messengers from God. So this is God speaking. And each time he addresses their fear. So that's where we're going next week. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray. We'll have a song and let you go. Uh, Father God, thank you. We thank you that you are love. We might not understand things. We might not like some things. It doesn't look like it's love. But you can't not love. Part of love is to give us free will. And that's why a lot of, there's a lot of garbage. A lot of bad stuff happens. But God, I'm, in a group this size, I know some people that, that have a hard time, as was in the video, believing that God, you love them just the way they are that you sent Jesus to die for them. And he wants nothing more than you to accept his gift, his sacrificial gift, to pay for your sin so you can be in a relationship with God. You can have intimacy with God. We pray that you would step across that line today, that you would say, yes, Jesus, I accept your gift. I want to be in a relationship with a God that first and foremost, above all else, loves me. God, we thank you for that love. It's transformational. It transforms us. We thank you that you desire relationship with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.